Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Ladies Promoting Transparent Advocacy Podcast. I am your podcast host, Shay Pate. Today is Friday, August 28th, 2020. And the reason why I want to make sure I say what today is because it's a historical day in America that represents a lot of different things. But today is the March on Washington 57 years later after Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did his I Have a Dream speech. So National Action Network with uh, Al Sharpton, founder, uh, he decided to make a commitment day, a commitment to fight on and get legislation changed and get some things put in the books, such as the John Lewis Voting Act and the George Floyd Act that, from my understanding, is already passed by the House, but we're waiting on Mitch McConnell in the Senate. So today, I wanted to do this because I was supposed to be in Washington and at the last minute did not go, but I did watch it on BET, and I wanted to share some uh, of the live recording that I did while I was watching it. So I want to call today Fight Fight, fight Friday, because we really are in a situation where we need to fight, fight for our rights, fight for our dignity, fight for our respect, fight for unemployment, fight for jobs, fight for equity in everything, including health care, housing, education. I mean, you know, we can go on and on. So. What I want to do is first start off with a speech given by Martin Luther King Jr.'s only grandchild, and her name is Yolanda Renee King. She spoke before her father, Martin Luther King III, spoke. And I can tell this young lady from the first time she spoke previously, she's fired up, and it's in her blood, and she's ready to fight. So she's going to speak before her father, and then after her father speaks, Reverend Al Sharpton is going to speak. So I hope you guys pay attention to what's being said and be ready to fight. It is now my honor to introduce a man whose name is synonymous with the civil rights, human rights movement. A man whose father stood here 57 years ago. A man who followed his father's footsteps, and I was there with him to India where he traced the steps of Gandhi. A man who understands that this is a full-time job. He's not a... Martin Luther King III is none other than the congressman representing the 9th Congressional District of Texas, Congressman Al Green. Thank you, everyone. It is now my honor to introduce a man whose name is synonymous with the civil rights, human rights movement. A man whose father stood here 57 years ago. A man who followed his father's footsteps, and I was there with him to India where he traced the steps of Gandhi. A man who understands that this is a full-time job. He's not a part-time freedom fighter. He's not an everyday freedom fighter. He's an all-the-time freedom fighter. I'm 
I'm here to introduce a man who's a Morehouse graduate, a man who knows what it feels like to suffer the pains associated with the human rights movement. When he lost his father at the age of 10, he could have given up, but he didn't. He stayed in and he has fought the good fight. I'm here to introduce the Honorable Martin Luther King III. Would you show him some love, please? If you believe in liberty and justice for all, stand up and show him some love. If you believe in government, the people, God the people, stand up and show him some love. Show Martin some love. Show his father some love. His mother some love. His wife Matthew some love. His daughter Yolanda some love. Show him some love. God bless you. God bless the King family.
Greg as the Democrats nominated Barack Obama, who would go on to become the first African-American president of these United States. But the progress we celebrated then is imperiled yet again. And now we must march to the ballot box and the mailboxes to defend the freedoms that earlier generations worked so hard to win. In so many ways, we stand together today in the symbolic shadow of history. But we are making history together right now. We're marching with the largest and most active multi-generational, multi-racial movement for civil rights since the 1960s. From high school students to senior citizens, black as well as white, Latino, Asian American, Native American, Pacific Islanders, Americans are marching together, many for the first time, and we're demanding real, lasting, structural change. We are marching together for time-honored goals and in timely ways. We are courageous, but conscious of our health. We are socially distant, but spiritually united. We are making, masking our faces, but not our faith in freedom. And we are taking our struggle to the streets and to social media. The nation has never seen such a mighty movement in a modern day incarnation of what my father called the coalition of conscience. And if we move forward with purpose and passion, we will complete the work so boldly began in the 1960s. We're marching to overcome what my father called were the triple evils of poverty, racism, and violence. And today, those evils have exacerbated four major challenges that currently face our country. First, COVID-19 tragically has killed more than 175,000 Americans, disproportionately African-American, a Latino and low-income people in every background. Second, more than 30 million Americans are unemployed again, disproportionately people of color. COVID-19 has laid bare the structural and racial inequalities in our economy that kept too many people trapped in the debt and poverty. Third, police brutality and gun violence are killing so many unarmed African Americans. Today, we march with their families and we say their names. George Floyd, Bohem Jean, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Yusef Richardson, Terrence Crutcher, Trayvon Martin, Ahmaud Aubrey, Elijah McClain, and so many others. And fourth, our voting rights are under attack. We must vigorously defend our right to vote because those rights were paid for with the blood of those lynched for seeking to exercise their constitutional rights. They were paid for with the blood of civil rights workers such as Sammy Young Jr., Goodman, Swerdy, and Cheney, Jimmy Lee Jackson, Viola Luizzo, James Reed. Those rights were paid for through the sacrifices made by heroes such as C.T. Vivian, Fannie Lou Hamer, Jose Williams, and John Lewis. But since the United States Senate has failed to renew the Voting Rights Act, we have had to overcome a whole new trick bags of tactics to suppress our votes. 
discriminatory voter ID requirements, cutbacks in early voting and vote by mail, voter purges targeting those who have missed several elections, and disenfranchising those who have served their time and paid their debt to the society. And now COVID-19 is making it dangerous, even deadly, to stand in line at polling places. We shouldn't have to risk our lives to cast our votes. We need to be able to do what President Trump does, vote safely by mail. But now we are struggling to overcome the dismantling of the U.S. Postal Service for the express purpose of suppressing our vote. With all these threats to our lives and liberties, our challenge is to use this moment to expand this movement, a movement that not only raises its voice, but casts its votes, pursues its vision, and makes lasting change. The scripture says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Our vision is best expressed by a phrase we must never forget. That is, the beloved community. With those words, my father, John Lewis, Alabama, Rosa Parks, and so many other historic women and men envision an America whose dramatic practice is as good as its promise. An America where the triple evils of poverty, racism, and violence will be replaced by peace, justice, and shared abundance. And where hate and fear finally give way to help and love. To achieve that America, we need to raise our voices and cast our votes. Over the weeks ahead, culminating on Election Day, we need to vote as if our lives and our livelihoods, our liberties depend on it, because they do. No person, no people are more keenly aware of the risk of disenfranchisement than those who suffered from it. There's a knee upon the neck of democracy, and our nation can only live so long without the oxygen of freedom. The strength must be exercised by more than rhetoric and more than marching. The simple challenge before us is that everyone can cast a ballot, and everyone who can must cast a ballot. And that ballot that is cast must be counted, and the result must, must be transparent and known to the whole world. And so today, I can call on everyone with the means to drive people to the polls, to make a plan for yourself, for your family and your neighbor, for those organizations and companies that care about democracy. I call on you today to offer your resources and your capacity to make sure every ballot is counted. If our forefathers were willing to die for the right to vote, we can work for the right to vote, and I will continue to call on you to act in the coming days. You know, my father was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee by standing in solidarity with poor working people, sanitation workers, whose slogans, I am a man, was a statement that they were human beings with rights that should be respected and acknowledged. They were asking for safe working conditions, for a living wage, for recognition of their union, and for human dignity. They summed up their struggle with those four words, I am a man. That simple but powerful slogan impairs movements today from Black Lives Matter to Fight for 15 and to the Me Too struggle against sexual harassment and abuse. Movements of marginalized Americans are still trying to claim the dignity they've been denied. Martin Luther King Jr. 
fought for the dignity of work. And that fight is never ending. In 1963, the March on Washington demanded jobs and freedoms. In 1968, the Memphis Sanitation Strike workers and de demanded and the Poor People's Campaign insisted that working people should not live and labor in poverty. Those fights foreshadowed our struggle today to make the minimum wage a living wage, not a poverty wage. And we are fighting alongside the frontline workers, sanitation workers, healthcare workers, grocery workers, transport workers, food service workers, and so many more. They are praised for being essential, but they are treated as if they are expendable. While standing with sanitation workers in Memphis, they have said, so often we overlook the work and the significance of those who are not in professional jobs, of those who are not in the so-called big jobs. But let me say to you tonight, that wherever you are, whenever you are engaged in work that serves humanity, and is for the building of humanity, it has dignity and worth. Now we have a president who confesses greatness for grandiosity. But my father knew better. Everyone, he said, can be great because everyone can serve. He understood the human yearning for recognition. And in his famous speech, he explained that everyone wants to be a drum major, the leader of the marching band. And he challenged us to channel our drum major instinct into becoming drum majors for justice. While we honor our history, we must be living a living movement, not a monument. If Dad were here today, I'm sure he would implore us not to deify him or selectively quote him when convenient. He would want us to be drama majors for justice, to champion ideals he promoted, racial justice, social equality, and peace. And he would gently but intently challenge us not to dwell upon the past, but to live and labor in what he called the fierce urgency of now. So if you're looking for a savior, get up and find a mirror. We must become the heroes of the history we are making. And us means all of us. In 1963, after my father spoke, Byron Rustin, the architect of the march, asked the participants to join in demanding that Congress pass strong civil rights and voter rights laws. More than half a century later, we must demand that the United States Senate stop blocking passage of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Restoration Act. And so when we conclude today, let's remember that it, remember that it, this is the commitment march in the spirit of 1963. I ask you to join me in pledging to act in three ways. First, because our civil and human rights are at stake in this election, I ask you not only to register vote, but make sure that at least one other person registers and votes. Second, I ask you to commit to service and struggle in your community, from voter registration to raising the minimum wage to demilitarizing the police. Get involved with one or more of many worthwhile struggles in your community. And third, I ask you to pledge, as my father and John Lewis did, to get into good trouble and do it nonviolent. But remember that in the fight against injustice, nonviolence doesn't mean passive acceptance. It means peaceful resistance. We must come together and join with the Black Lives Movement to raise our voices and say enough is enough. 
We must come with the poor people's campaign, the climate change and environmental justice movement, the women's march and Me Too movement, the Parkland students and march for our, enough, uh, uh, march for our lives and say enough is enough. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that the moral arc of the universe is long but bends toward justice. But he was also the first to say that it doesn't bend on it all its own. We must do some work ourselves. In the final year of his life, he wrote in his last book, Where do we go from here, chaos or community? Well, my sisters and brothers and dear friends, in this defining moment for our history and our country, we must answer Dr. King's question. Will our answer be chaos or community? I believe some have chosen the answer with chaos, including the current occupant in the White House today. But we who believe must choose community because if we choose community, we can avoid watching the dream turn into a permanent nightmare. If we choose community, 50 years from now, People will say that we were able to redeem the soul of America and began to fulfill the promise of democracy by systematically eliminating systematic racism and exploitation. My friends, if we choose community, we will be able to answer in the affirmative to the scripture. Here comes that dreamer. Come, let's slay him, and we shall see what will become of his dream. Finally, this afternoon, I want to say to you, not only do I come as a protester, but I come as a victim. My daddy was killed when I was 10 years old. Gunned down, you know that, by assassin's bullet. Some of you know, but may not know. Six years later, my daddy's mother, my grandmother, was gunned down in the church while playing the Lord's Prayer. So, I understand what it means to lose a loved one. But I was so thankful that my grandfather and my mother and my aunts and uncles taught me about love because granddaddy used to say, I refuse to allow any person to reduce me to hatred. The man that killed my lovely wife and the man that killed my son, I refuse to allow them even to reduce me to hatred. I love everybody. I'm every man's brother. If we're going to resolve these issues in America, we've got to come together. Dad talked about it in that sermon, Levels of Love. He talked about all of them. I'm only going to talk about the highest level of love. That love that seeks nothing in return. That love that is totally unselfish. You love someone if they're young, you love them if they're old. You love them if they're black, you love them if they're white. You love them if they're Native American. You love them if they're Hispanic or Latino American. You love them if they're African. You love them if they're Asian. You love them because you know that God calls you to do that. And if we're going to resolve all of these conflicts and crises in America, we got to find a way to do it in love. Thank you and God bless you. And let's keep on keeping on. No justice, no justice, 
No justice. No justice. What do we want? What do we want? What do we want? When do we want it? When do we want it? Now. When do we want it? Now. When do we want it? Now. Seven years ago, in 1963, there was a struggle in Birmingham, Alabama. There was the assassination of Medgar Evers, the head of the Mississippi NAACP, in the middle of struggle and murder. They came to Washington to demand that the federal government give them a Civil Rights Act and voting rights. They marched that day in a hot, blistering day like today, saying that as we struggle, we need legislation. And they stayed on that movement until they got the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. They came young and old. They came from the South. Many of them couldn't stop on the road to use a bathroom because it was against the law. But they came anyhow. Many of them couldn't stop and eat in a restaurant. They had to put their sandwiches in a paper bag because no restaurant would serve them because it was against the law. But they came anyhow. Many of them couldn't rest in a motel overnight. But they came anyway because it was against the law for them to stop. Because they came in 63, we were able to come back in 2020, riding whatever we wanted to ride, stay in whatever hotels was available. They opened the door for us, but there's still some doors we have to open and some people we've got to straighten out. 2020. We must deal with those that want to rob our right to vote. And even though we're here in the midst of a pandemic, socially distancing, telling y'all to distance, and I keep saying spread out, we want to come to show with our bodies that enough is enough. When I was headed to George Floyd's funeral, I talked with Martin Luther and I said, you know, maybe we need to go back to Washington. He said, well, let's talk it out, Brother Al. As I was giving the unity, I announced this march. We didn't know how we were going to do it how we were going to plan it, how many would come, but we did it. 
all we in Washington. I talked with one of the leading minds of our nation, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, and he told me that, Reverend Al, you've got to understand that until there's federal legislation, every state will do what it wants to do. We have passed in the House of Representatives the George Floyd Policing and Justice Act. Now we need to pass that act in the Senate. We need Mitch McConnell and the U.S. Senate to meet on the George Floyd Policing and Justice Act. Are we going to meet new senators at the poll in November 3rd? Whether we got the mail-in, walk-in, ride-in, crawl-in, we want our bill passed. Seven weeks ago, John Lewis, an outstanding congressman, made his transition. Last time, he was with us, John Lewis. He and Reverend Hosea Williams and Amelia Barkey were beaten on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, tear gas, that led to the Selma to Montgomery March that got us the right to vote. And that right lasted till 2013 when they took and cut it out the middle of that bill, taking away the map. When we come to Washington, saying how do you memorialize John Lewis and allow the bill that he stood for us to die, we want the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill for the Congress. So we didn't just come today have a show Demonstration without legislation would not lead to change. We didn't come out and stand in this heat because we didn't have nothing to do. We come to let you know that we will come out by these numbers in the heat and stand in the heat that we will stand in the polls all day long. They keep telling me about how it's a shame that black parents have to have the conversation with our children. How we have to explain if a cop stops you, don't reach for the glove compartment, don't talk back the conversation. But we've had the conversation for decades. It's time we have a conversation with America. We need to have a conversation about your racism, about your bigotry, about your hate, about how you would put your knee on our neck while we cry for our lives. We need a new conversation. Oh, we didn't come to start trouble, we came to stop trouble. 
You act like it's no trouble. Because she doesn't even to put a chokehold on us while we scream I can't breathe 11 times. You act like it's no trouble to hold a man down on the ground until you squeeze the knife out of him. It's time for a new conversation. I wondered why I asked Dr. Dice, why did they have the march? at Lincoln's Memorial? Why didn't they go to the Jefferson Memorial? Why didn't they go to the Washington Monument? And he told me, you gotta understand, Reverend Al, 100 years before 63, 1963, was 1863. 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. He promised us full citizenship if we fought to save the Union. He promised us 40 acres and a mule. We never got the full citizenship. We never got the reparations. We come to Lincoln because you promised, Mr. Lincoln, and the promise has been broken. And we come like Dr. King came 57 years ago to say we're tired of broken promises. Some say to me, rather now, y'all ought to denounce those that get violent, those that are looting. All of the families have denounced looting. What we haven't heard is you denounce shooting. We will speak against the looting, but when will you speak against wrong police shooting? I remember Reverend Dr. Y.T. Walker said, Reverend W. Franklin Richardson spoke today and sat us down and said that after the Montgomery boycott and they had gone to Albany, Georgia, and the movement saw because in Albany they treated them with a certain kindness. They said they wanted to find someone that would demonstrate the raw disregard for ranks. And as they did, they went all over the South. And Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth told them to come to Birmingham because there was a police chief there named Bull Connor. And Bull Connor would act in an insensitive and brutal way. Well, in 1963 and 1964, they fought Bull Connor. Here we are in 2020. We've gone from Bull Connor to Bull Trump. We've gone from a mean-spirited sheriff to a mean-spirited president. 
whose lips drink with the words of interposition and nullification. We do not want to be disrespected. How do you speak while this young man, Jacob, lies in a hospital and you won't call his name? How do you sit while Brianna Taylor is in a grave and you won't call her name? How do you sit while that God is in a grave and you won't call his name? How do you sit while George Floyd is laying in a grave and you won't call his name? Well, Mr. Trump, look right down the block from the White House. We come to Washington by the thousands. We gonna call their name. We gonna call their name. We'll never let America forget what you've done. Call their names. This is the time. This is the time for legislative change. This is the time for us to vote like we never voted before. And don't just vote for the top of the ticket. Vote all the way down. Yeah. Go down from the top to the bottom. Go all the way to the dog catcher. Yeah. We want to get rid of anybody that's in our way. Because yeah. our parents died to give us the right to vote. You can mess with the mail, but it ain't the sacrifice that Goodman and Cheney and Swearney gave. Our vote is dipped in blood. Our vote is dipped in those that went to their grave. We don't care how long the line, we don't care what you do, we're gonna vote not for one candidate or the other, but we're gonna vote for a nation that'll stop the George Floyds, that'll stop the Breonna Taylors. They say when George Zimmerman was acquitted for the murder. When he was acquitted for the murder of Trayvon Mutt, three young genius sisters wrote the slogan, Black Lives Matter. And it resonated. Why did it resonate? Because too long, you acted like we didn't matter. They said, well, everybody matters, but everybody hasn't mattered the same in America. Reason we had and still have to say Black Lives Matter is because we get less health care like we don't matter. We go to jail longer for the same crime like we don't matter. We get Poverty, unemployment, double the others like we don't matter. We treated with disrespect by policemen that we pay their salaries like we don't matter. So we figured we'd let you know whether we tall or short, fat or skinny, light skin or dark skin, black lives matter and we won't stop until it matters to everybody.
yourself that you are a hold of offense. Leave alone. Let me say, as we hear from some of the victims, and as we get ready to march over to the kingdom of 1963, Dr. King talked about he had a dream. Today, we heard from his heir and his son, Martin Luther King III, his beautiful wife, Andre, and his granddaughter, Yolanda. And they are in the bloodline, the children and grandchildren of the dream. But we come in the same spiritual lineage. Because I want this country to know that even with your brutality, you can't rob us of our dreams. Your bigotry can't rob us of our dreams. Because we've always had the dream beyond our circumstance. We always had the dream of being what we were not allowed to be. We are the dream keepers, which is why we come today black and white and all races and religions and, so and sexual orientations to say this dream is still alive. You might have killed the dreamer, but you can't kill the dream because truth crushed to earth shall rise again. We will rise never to fall again. We will stand up even when our legs are tired. We will make this dream come true. Let me say this. Let me say this as we close. Let me say this, we all should leave here committed to keeping this dream alive. I want everybody that went to the website of National Action Network Net, NationalActionNetwork.net, that wants to help us on election day be poll watchers to protect our vote. I want you that will be signing up. Early voting starts in two weeks. We on a nonpartisan way want to put people all over this country. They want to suppress our vote. We've got to have foot soldiers that will protect the vote and that will be out there. And I want you to say to yourself that you could have been so much more. You had ideas and dreams not only as a race, but as a person. But society had their knee on your neck. We could have developed and been as successful as others, but society had their knee on our neck. But we're not gonna lay and submit no more. We're not gonna take it. Some have different tactics, but we all are rising up. You gonna get your knee off our neck. 
if we got to march every day, if we got to vote every day, we will get your knee off our neck. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. No justice. No justice. No justice. No justice. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that, and I really hope that you pay attention to what was being said. So, as you know, I like to end my podcast with the question, what do you have to say? Give us a call at 404-855-7723. Hit us up on Twitter. Please follow us at, at Advocacy Lady, and that's capital A for Advocacy, capital L for Lady. And if you want, send us an email at podcasthostshaypate19 at gmail.com. And you know I like to end with that question. What do you have to say? Thank you.